Well, thank you everybody so much for coming, and uh, we're really excited to be able to be here together uh, this morning. Um, I know some of us are coming in with heavy hearts, some of us are coming in uh, with excitement and ready to go, so uh, wherever you are, know that God has you here this morning for a reason, and so uh, we pray that you would, uh, that all of us would recognize what that reason is um, as we dive into his word. Now, I want to uh, recognize and introduce that we are in a new series uh, for the next six weeks. Uh, We are starting a series called It Starts Here. And so whether you're someone that is on your journey with God and you don't, you know, you don't quite know if you believe in him yet, you're maybe you're just coming to church, someone invited you, you don't really know what you believe. um, We're so glad that you're here, if that's you. If you're someone that maybe has been a part of the church for a while and has maybe stepped away for whether it's busyness or, or whether you're struggling with something and so you've taken a step back from, from being a part of the body of Christ consistently and, and you're here today, uh, again, we're so thankful that you're here. Maybe uh, whether you're someone who's been a follower of Jesus for years and for decades and, and you're so close in your relationship with him and you're fully devoted and fully following him, um, Wherever you may be, if you are in this room here, there, there may be a likely chance that you're sitting here and you're asking a question. That is, whether you're beginning the journey, in the middle of the journey, not sure if you want to stay on the journey, continuing the journey. And you're asking, how is it, if God is real, how is it that we can get deeper to God? How can I have a deeper relationship with God, Because that's the same question that someone who's brand new or someone who's known the Lord for decades can ask that same question and can say, how can I have a deeper relationship with God? And so as we begin with that idea, this series is called It Starts Here because one of the most important things, one of the biggest starting points for getting a deeper relationship with God is to understand this idea of worship. This idea of what worship is and what it isn't, this idea of how do we worship, this idea of who do we worship. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to answer some who, what, where, when, why, and how questions about this idea of worship and the acknowledgement that if we want to get a deeper relationship with God, it starts here. It starts with who God is, why we worship him, what worship is, what it isn't, and how we worship him, and, and various other topics, because We're going to start this morning on this idea of who we worship, because if we get the who wrong, none of the other weeks matter. And so we're going to start with the who we worship this morning. And so I just wanted to couch this idea of it starts here is our series, who we worship is our topic this morning. And I would ask that you would join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to see what the word of the Lord has for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active. We thank you for the fact that you brought each and every person here for a reason, that each and every person here, God, is someone with whom you want to have a deeper relationship. So Lord, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in an incredible way to each and every one of us, that we would have the eyes and the ears and the hearts to hear what it is that you have for us this morning as we recognize and as we wrestle and we process the truth that everyone worships something, but who we worship is everything. Lord, we love you, and we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the point of today, the the main point is that everyone worships something, but who you worship is everything. Everyone worships something, but who we worship is everything. Now, even for people who 
are, are atheists and they don't believe in God, we recognize that there's still a degree to which we worship something. And we'll dive into what the definition of worship looks like and how that impacts us. But everyone worships something. Now, I mentioned to you a few uh, in the past month or so is that I had an opportunity to go to India for a missions trip in 2005. And in preparation for that trip, uh, the team of us, there were seven of us, we went to a Hindu temple in Orange County. And so this is a way for us to get a little bit acclimated to the culture, to see how they worship, to see what that looks like so that when we go to India, we're just a little better prepared. And so as we did, we showed up and uh, there are people that were bringing grocery bags with gallons of milk. And so we weren't quite, you know, we weren't quite sure what that was about. And you walk in, and so picture walking in the doors, and there's, you know, an aisle here. And in the very back where we have the cross, there was an idol. There was a, there's a large statue there. And the reason, why do I bring up the milk? Because if, if you don't know, or maybe you do know, that uh, cows are very sacred in Hinduism. And so they acknowledge that, you know, from the cow we have, um, you know, milk and we have cheese, but you don't, you don't kill a cow, you don't eat a cow, it's forbidden. So side note, when I got back from India, the first thing I wanted was a hamburger, you know what I'm talking about? Um, <laughs> but we ended up going and, and we're learning about this process and, and what a worship service was like at a Hindu temple. And so as we did, there came a part in, and we didn't partake in any of the aspect, we didn't partake in any worship, they would give an offering, we didn't, we didn't do anything, we observed. And one of the things that we observed is that there'd come a point during the service where those gallons of milk would be brought forward, and that people that were serving at, at the um, Hindu temple would start pouring the gallons of milk over that idol, over that statue, because they recognized that you know, their, their belief system was that cows are holy, so that which comes from a cow, milk, is, is a holy thing, and they provided that as an offering to that god. And so we're, you know, we're pretty taken aback. This is not our cultural background. This is not what we are used to, and, and nor do we want you bringing milk here on Sunday mornings. But it's one of those where we recognize like, this is how they had worshipped the specific God on that specific day. So it was very different. And so we could look at that story and that idea and say, well, we don't, you know, we don't worship idols like that. But we may not bow down to a statue or, or offer an offering to a statue that's tangible in the same way. But if you're like me, there are idols that we wrestle with all the time. Me personally, as I share about um, what idols are that I've struggled with, one of them is food. I love food. Can I get an amen? Come on. <laughs> I love food. But thank you. Thank you. Um, but no, it's one of those where uh, a few years, 2015, I, I stepped on the scale, and for the first time in my life, I saw a number that I never thought I would have seen between my feet. And I recognized that I, I needed to lose weight. And so through that year, I'd lost 42 pounds. And so, wait a minute. <laughs> Thank you, but we're not. <laughs> I lost 42 pounds. And then since then, over the past two and a half years, since I reached my goal in November of 2015, I've slowly gained back about 30 of it. And it's not because, like, it's one of those where food, for me, has the temptation and has the potential to be that which I turn to when I am stressed, to be that which I turn to when I just feel like I need a break. It could be that to which I turn to and a, a box of something can for, turn filled to empty very quickly if I'm mindlessly snacking. So for me, food can be one of those idols, one of those things that I turn to to comfort more than I turn to God. Another one that I, that I struggle with is this idea of perfectionism. 
This idea that I feel like I always have to have everything perfect, that I have to do everything the perfect way and the perfect timing so that everyone will think I'm perfect. And in so doing, it causes me to separate myself from other people, to separate myself because if you really knew me, then how would that really, you know, you wouldn't believe in me or follow me, whatever that is. And you build up these walls because the idol of looking perfect and appearing perfect to everyone can be more important than actual authentic relationships. And then you isolate yourself because if people really knew you, they wouldn't love you. And these are the the lies that this idol of perfectionism tells us, that we think that we have to be perfect, we have to have it all together. And if we don't, then we're failures. And yes, we want to be like our Heavenly Father who is perfect. Yes, we want to pursue God, but we also have to equally acknowledge that there are none that are righteous, no, not one, that none of us on our own have righteousness that are clean, but our righteousness is as filthy rags, so we need a Savior who knew no righteousness to become righteousness so that we might experience, that we might experience the righteousness of God, that he gave that up so that we may have a relationship with God. But, but still, I think, well, I have to do that perfectly, Right? So that's my, one of my issues. And the last thing I've struggled with for years is this idea of people-pleasing. This idea of recognizing that I just want everyone to be happy with me and, because I feel like if maybe there's conflict, that maybe people won't like me anymore. And this is something that God has had to work in for years. And honestly, that's part of why I knew that the Lord didn't want me to be a senior pastor years ago because I wasn't ready for this yet. That God is still working in me and through me and helping me process these things. But this idea of just wanting everybody to be loving towards one another, everything to be fine, but recognize that we can't truly be loving with one another if we're not willing to have the hard conversations. And if we're not really willing to be able to talk on a real truth level, because love without truth is not truly love, and truth without love is not truly truth. That we need both hand in hand. And sometimes if I just veer towards the side of wanting to be loving all the time, that I don't provide truth and that I'm not actually loving people. So people-pleasing has been a huge one for me. So food, perfectionism, people-pleasing. And just so you guys know the perfectionist side of me, I was trying to think if there's a way that I could start the word food with the letter P. Couldn't do it. Um, that way they'd be peop- all P's. But I'm, I'm willing to bet, I'm, I'm pretty sure that unless if I'm alone in here, that I'm probably not the only one here that struggles with idols, that struggles with things where, no, we may not be pouring uh, gallons of milk onto an idol, but we are still providing worship and value and finding our identity and our fulfillment in something other than God, and something other than a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so there's a quotation from Tim Hughes in The Worship Project when he talks about what does this word worship mean? Well, the English word worship as it says on the screens, comes from the Anglo-Saxon worthskype, which literally means to ascribe worth to something. Those things that we value, admire, love, and enjoy most are by definition objects of our affection. The, The comment we made earlier that there might be people who don't believe in any sort of God that say, well, I don't worship anything. But we all ascribe value and worth to something. Whether that's our career, whether that's our bank account, whether that's our house, whether that's our kids and making sure that they're perfect, whether that's our marriage, whether that's whatever that may be for us. We ascribe worth to something. And in so doing, we are worshiping something and putting worship and worth towards something or someone. So we talk about this idea, what is an idol? 
And so Timothy Keller, I'm, I'm indebted to him for his book, Counterfeit Gods. If you've not read it, um, it's a fantastic book. And Timothy Keller is one of my favorite authors. So if you read, um, this, this quotation comes from there, and it says this. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value, and then I'll feel significant and secure. And there are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. That whenever we look at this idea of, oh, even if people who don't believe in God, they'll still say, oh, but if I only have, if I only can date this person, if I can only go to this college, if I can only get into this career, if I can only have this house, if I can only get this promotion, if I can only be perceived as perfect by everybody, if I could only retire with this amount of money in the bank account, if I can only go visit this place in the world, if I could only do fill in the blank. But any time that we look at the if-onlys and we place those about the, above the only God, then we are committing idolatry. Any time that we try to seek and ask God, not for who he is, but for him to give us those if-onlys that we want, then we're committing idolatry. That we're putting things or other people above God. So no, we may not be pouring gallons of milk on a statue, but many of us are worshiping at the idol of idolatry without even acknowledging it. So this morning, we've been praying because we recognize that this is not an easy topic. But we also recognize that everyone worships something. But who we worship is everything. And so this idea of worshiping in idols is not something that's new to us in this generation. Even though we have technology that maybe makes us more distracted than previous generations, and we have other areas in which to be more attached to our idols, we recognize that this is not a new thing. And so the, the Bible talks about this quite often. In fact, two Jewish philosophers, Moshe Halbertel and Avishai Margalit, say it this way. The central principle of the Bible is the rejection of idolatry. The central principle of the Bible is rejection of idolatry. That we see this in the very beginning, that when Adam and Eve, they first fell, and there's that first sin, it was because they put an idea of being like God above God. That they put the idea of being more knowledgeable to have the, the fruit from the knowledge of the tree and evil above what God had said to do. And they put that idea above the relationship. So from the very beginning of, of, in, of sin, the first sin, all the way through, is we're combating idolatry. We look at, in the Old Testament often, we see this idea of idolatry, adultery, being such vivid language that the Lord uses when his people turn their backs on him. That it's such vivid language because it's this strong, strong idea that this, one of the central principles of the Bible is the rejection of idolatry. So we, should, we would behoove us to be able to dive into that this morning. And so with that in mind, we're going to be looking at Exodus 32. So turn your Bibles to Exodus 32. It's page 136 in the church Bible. If you have that, uh, if you have your app, your own Bible here, that's awesome as well. Uh, we're going to be in Exodus 32. We're going to be verses 1 through six. And as you are turning there, we're going to put the first part of our point on the screen so you can fill in the blank that everyone worships something. Everyone worships 
something. Because everyone ascribes worth to something. Everyone tries to find value in something. And whether that's the one true God or whether it's an idol, everyone worships something. So how do we know that to be true? How do we know that that is a true statement? You know, I'm gonna, we're going to go into Exodus 32, and as you're turning there, as you're getting your place, we've got to find ourselves in the context of where Exodus 32 is. So this is shortly thereafter that the Israelites had escaped through Egypt. This is shortly after God had separated the Red Sea and the, and the Israelites crossed through, which shortly thereafter, that, that same Red Sea covered the Egyptians and wiped them away. This is shortly thereafter, God provided quail and manna and food for his people and water for his people. It's shortly thereafter, the Ten Commandments, in which God said in verses four through six, do not make an idol of anything that is above the earth, below the earth, or in the sea. So this is all the context. And so after those Ten Commandments, shortly there, Moses goes up to the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai. He meets with God there. And, and a lot of those uh, chapters in Exodus that talk about how to build the tabernacle and some of these other uh, miscellaneous laws and rules or things that Moses experienced up there over 40 days and 40 nights. But the people that had seen God do these incredible things are waiting and they say, what do we do now? So this is where we jump into our story, Exodus 32. We're going to read 1 through 6 together. When the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, as if that's no big thing, right? As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that, you, that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. So the Israelites are saying, even when they've rejected God, and this is our first point here, even when we reject God, we will make up gods to worship. We will make up gods to worship because there is an absence within our heart and within our soul that only God can fulfill. That God has placed eternity in our hearts, as Ecclesiastes 4 talks about. That Romans 1 talks about this idea that we could just look at creation and his divine and eternal qualities point us to the fact that there has to be something or someone above us. There has to be someone to worship. So we're driven deep down to this idea of worshiping something. And so if we don't have a relationship with God, or if we've rejected him as the Israelites did, just as they said, come make us gods who will go before us, that the stirring of our hearts will cause us, if even if we reject God, to make up gods for us to worship. Because that's part of who we are, is to want to be able to worship and ascribe worth to something or someone greater than ourselves. We see that in verse 1. Verse 2, this idea of Aaron has said, you know, give me all the gold and the silver and I'll make, a, I'll make an idol out of it. Shows us that the second point is not only will we make up gods, but number two is we will sacrifice something of value to worship. And so maybe we do this by spending an exorbitant amount of money 
in order to have an experience to go travel somewhere because our idol is traveling or to see the world. Or maybe it's something where we sacrifice our family because we're so driven at work because we want to provide for our family that we fail to realize that we're actually not providing what's most important to our family. And then we retire and we look back upon our lives and recognize that the relationship with our family, those who are most important to us, is only paper thin. In fact, it's only as paper thin as the paycheck that we've been given. Because we're sacrificing something of value to pursue an idol or to pursue something else that we think will satisfy. So maybe it's a relationship. Maybe we're willing to sacrifice our integrity in order to move forward, in order to make sure we get into a certain college, to make sure that we get a certain promotion. Maybe in order to get the fulfillment that we think we can find from something or someone else. And so we sacrifice our integrity, but we see that all of us are willing to sacrifice for something that's important to us. And so just like the Israelites who were willing to give up their gold to make this calf, they were willing to sacrifice something of value. But what they didn't realize and what they will soon find out is that that gold that was their earrings and their rings was going to be burned down from the calf and it was going to be taken up and it was going to be used towards building the tabernacle so that the house of God would be built up, not our own idol worship. And so we see that how do we know that it's true that everyone worships something? Number one, even when we reject God, we'll make up gods and to worship. Number two, we will sacrifice something of value to worship. And then number three, we will even worship idols while claiming we are worshiping God. And we see this when the Israelites say, tomorrow there's going to be a festival to the Lord. And Aaron says um, in verse 5, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Sorry, Aaron said that. There'll be a festival to the Lord. If you look at your Bible, it's, it's capital L-O-R-D, which is Yahweh, which is the one true God, I am who am. So it's this idea of saying, God had, Yahweh had just told us to not build an idol, to not build a cast iron idol of anything above or below. Yet, we're going to worship God by breaking his laws. We're going to worship God by not listening to what he tells us to do. And it's under this guise of worship because we want to do the right thing or, or we want to convince ourselves that our rebellion is actually an act of worship. When really our rebellion is an act of rebellion, of idolatry, of believing that what we want from God is more important than loving God. And so this, this also goes for people who um, believe that God is that Jesus is one of many roads to the same mountain. This idea that we can say, oh, no, I'm worshiping God, but I'm also worshiping Hinduism and different, uh, the ideas of Buddhism and Islam. Like, it's one of many roads. And so I just kind of worship all the roads and all the paths. And in so doing, that, that makes it okay because I'm still worshiping God. But we know that John 14, 6 talks about that Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and none can come to the Father except through me. So we can't claim that we are pursuing God while breaking the laws of God. We also can't claim to be pursuing God when we're trying to add him onto another belief system because he's the only way. The broad is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the road, and narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. So we reach this idea that these are some ways that we know just from the Exodus 32 passage that everyone worships something because if not, if we reject God, we'll still ask God to make, we'll make up gods for ourselves. We'll offer something of value and sacrifice that. And then we will also 
we will also make sure that even when we're worshiping idols, we might still claim to be following God. So that's the first part is everyone worships something, but the next part is, but who you worship is everything. Who you worship is everything. Everyone worships something, but who you worship is everything. So in Exodus 20, I'm just going to turn there really quickly and read this verses 4 through 6, part of the Ten Commandments. And I've referred to it a couple times, but this is why who we worship is everything, because the impact of what this says. Exodus 20, starting in verse 4, says, you, sh- you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So why is it important for us to recognize that who we worship is everything? It's because number one, idol worship arouses the jealous love of God. That this word jealous can also be defined as zeal or zealous as well. And so uh, there's a a story, there's an interview I saw from Oprah Winfrey um, several years ago when she was sharing that she she grew up in a Christian home and she was sharing how she was attending a church service and the pastor started preaching. And as he was preaching, he was talking about how God is a jealous God. And as she heard that, she shares in this interview that she felt very struck by that, that there was something very wrong with that. And she really, she really wrestled with that because according to her words, she said, why would God be a, a jealous God? Is he jealous of me? Why would he be jealous of me? And so that idea that the misconception that God was jealous of her drove her away from God. Because why would we have a God that was jealous of humans? But it's a very distinct difference between God is not jealous of Oprah or of you or of me. He is jealous for us. He's jealous because he knows what's best. He's jealous because he loves us so much and he wants what's best for us that anything that would get in the way of that relationship, he is zealous and jealous to get rid of so that that relationship would remain intact. So that if I think about my relationship with my wife, it's Not just that I'm jealous of her insane good looks and the fact that she's able to be really smart with math, although I am jealous of those things, but it's the fact that I'm jealous for her and she is jealous for me, that if there was anything or anyone that tried to get in the way of that, it would be right of us in a love relationship to be able to say, that's not right and get rid of that. And so we recognize that when it comes to a relationship between man and wife, things like that. But what what we need to remember is that God is jealous for us because he knows the best good for our lives. And he knows that when he sees us going down the path of following an idol or following something that will never truly fulfill or provide everything that we need, that he reserves the right to take that away. So not all of you know me and Steph's story, but uh, we dated for a while and we ended up breaking up. But the reason we broke up is that I had made her into an idol. I was coming out of high school. We were both seniors in high school, and she just became my world. That if she was happy with me, then my life was good. If she was upset, then my life was bad. That everything revolved around Steph's opinion of me, which is incredibly unhealthy. And it's me making her an idol in my life. And so she rightfully was pursuing God and recognized that we needed to break up. And so we, through prayer and fasting and God working, we end up coming back together and and getting married and having kids. But the fruit of that 
Life together could never have happened if God didn't uproot the root of my idolatry towards her. That if I didn't recognize that I needed to take away that within me that made me think that she was the one that was going to fulfill me and remove that out so that God can fill himself in because he's the only one that truly can fulfill, that truly can provide significance and identity. And so because of that, we were able to come back together and, and recognize that God reserved the right in that time to remove my idol from my life so that I could run to the one true God. That God reserved the right in your lives and my life when we give our lives to him and we surrender and we have the Holy Spirit inside of us that can convict and can comfort and can guide and can move in and through us that he reserves the right to remove anything or anyone that we place above him because he's a jealous, zealous God for our good. So God is not jealous of us, he's jealous for us, but that jealousy, that jealous love of someone who loves us so much and wants the best for us is something that we see that whenever we recognize that we're starting to worship something or someone else, he reserves the right to remove that. Timothy Keller says it this way, he says, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God and anything you seek to give you what only God can give. So if we think that pursuing money and pursuing a career in which we gain money at the sake of our family, if we think that money is going to provide us because of what we really want is that security and that control, then we're putting security and control and money above God. If it's something where you just want popularity or you want to get approval from everybody else, and so you're willing to cut corners, you're willing to, to not speak the truth, you're willing to do anything else because you just want that approval from other people, then that's what we're putting above God because we think that somehow that security or somehow that approval or somehow that popularity or somehow that comfort from an idol is going to be what really fulfills us. But that's never going to happen because only God can truly fulfill us. The next point we talk about here is that worshiping anything other than God, we get this from Exodus 20, anything other than God has bigger consequences than you might think. Has bigger consequences than you might think. Because when we have an idol, that doesn't just affect us. My idols don't just affect me. Your idols don't just affect you. So we hear what Alexis de Tocqueville says when he says, the incomplete joys of this world will never satisfy the human heart. That no matter how badly we want to go to a specific college, get a specific job, be able to have a specific income, living in a specific neighborhood with a specific house, with a specific exact perfect family from all intents and purposes, no matter how often we try to pursue that, none of that will fully fulfill the desires inside of our hearts, the deepest desires, the ones that we don't share about with others. And if you're like perfectionist like me, the one that you barely want to tell other people about because you want to keep that perception up. But none of those will fulfill our hearts. But here's the rub, that we recognize that the bigger consequence is that we see that for those who hate him, that generations to the third and fourth generation are affected by the idol worship. Now you say, well, I don't hate God. I love him. I show up to church. I, I read my Bible. I pray. But what does 1 John 5 talks about? 1 John 5 talks about the fact that we love him if we obey his commandments. So if we're not obeying his commandments and we're not following his rules and, law, and his law and relationship with him, then we're not truly having that love relationship. And so we see that for some people, 
For some generations, you're sitting in this chair and you recognize that in your life, there have been generations of of addictions that have gone from generation to generation to generation. That for some of you, you've seen different types of abuses go from generation to generation to generation. For some of you, you try to find fulfillment in work and go to workaholism from generation to generation to generation. Maybe you have relational dis, uh, disunity and brokenness amongst siblings and family members from generation to generation to generation. Maybe you have mental illnesses that go from generation to generation to generation. And we see these generational sins, these generational wounds, these generational areas of brokenness that happen from generation to generation to generation. And yes, I'm being repetitive because it re- bears repeating how impactful this is. And it bears repeating how big the consequences are when we aren't allowing God to work in us and through us and uproot the idolatry in our lives so we can bear the fruit of a relationship with him, not just for us, but for our kids and for our children's children and for our children's children's children. And what would it look like if we in this room were the people that broke those cycles? What would it look like if we knew that we were never going to allow what happened to us to happen to those we love? What would it look like if we started the hard work of uprooting our idols so that the next generation would be able to bear the good fruit and not the fruit of our sin and our struggle and our generational hardships? And again, to go specifically, my I share about my perfectionism, and it pains me when I look and I see my daughter, Shaylin, and I see those same symptoms of perfectionism in her that I see in myself. And it pains me when I recognize that because I want to perceive being the perfect dad or having the perfect daughter, that maybe I put pressure on her in order to feel like she has to be perfect so that when she isn't perfect, she breaks. And that breaks me. So I'm not coming to you as an expert who's navigated these waters perfectly. I come to you as this fellow sojourner on this journey, recognizing that we all, we, not just you, we need help in this. So that we can start seeing the next generations not have these big consequences of brokenness and generational sin, but rather what number three talks about, that worshiping God alone will have a bigger impact than you can imagine. This idea that For those who hate God, three to four generations are affected. For those who love God, a thousand generations are blessed. A thousand generations are blessed. There's one more quotation from Timothy Keller. We'll close in just a moment. This is a longer one, so just listen. The only way, he says, the only way to free ourselves from the destruction destructive influence of counterfeit gods or idols is to turn back to the true one. The living God who revealed himself both at Mount Sinai and on the cross is the only Lord who, if you find him, can truly fulfill you. And if you fail him, can truly forgive you. So for us, by destroying our idols, we set ourselves free. We set future generations free. We find true fulfillment in the only one who can provide it. And we find true forgiveness from the only one who can give it. All from this idea of do not cast idols. Do not bow before other things above God. So quickly, all of us have what Timothy Keller talks about as deep idols and surface idols. Surface idols are the things like money or children or family 
or work. Those are, those are the things that are up on the surface of how we live our deep idols out. The deep idols are things like comfort and approval, security, power, control. So we might say, well, I can't control things in my life, so I, what I can't control is what I eat, so I'll just start eating, because at least I can control that. And in so doing, sadly see myself gain weight and sadly see myself growing into more of a pit of despair and feeling like I'm losing control. Or maybe for some of us, it's this idea of, oh, if I'm, my deep idol is approval, then the surface idol that comes out of that is people-pleasing. This idea that I'm just going to just kind of let everything be there and not have hard conversations because I'm hoping that everything will just be fine and people will like me. And again, I'm not telling you as someone who's navigated these waters, I'm telling you as someone who is honest, a fellow sojourner on this journey that God has been working on me to help get rid of these things for me so that the timing would be right to take up what he has for me in the same way that he needs to work in in each and every one of us so that we could take up what he has for each and every one of us to do what he's created us to do. And so you can write these questions down or just pray through these questions through this week. But the first one that comes out of this is for you. What are the surface idols that you turn to? Again, the surface ones are the ones, they're the fruit of our idolatry. They're the things that come out. So whether it's, again, money or our spouse, our children, or whatever it is, different types of addictions, it's, it's, those are the, the surface idols. And what are they that you turn to? And then the second question to that is, what deep idol is that surface idol trying to fulfill because we can't just get rid of the fruit because a tree with an evil root will still bear evil fruit no matter how hard we try to cut that off but we need to allow God and his Holy Spirit to uproot those things from our lives and to allow us to be filled with who he is the only one who can truly bring fulfillment so as we close and you have your notes there. We've talked about it all the time today, but the bottom part, which says your main point, the main point is that everyone worships something, but who you worship is everything. Everyone worships something, but who you worship is everything. Everyone, everyone worships something. But who? Because if we get the who wrong, none of the rest of this matters. Because who you worship is everything. And so what would it look like for us as a church, as a body of believers, as the body of Christ, what would it look like if we allow God to work inside and get rid of our deep idols and our surface idols? What would it look like if we truly found fulfillment in Jesus Christ and a relationship with him alone? And in so doing, we are such a light in a dark place. We are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And we are able to go to our schools and to our workplaces, to our neighborhoods, to our extended family, to our friends and circle of friends. And we are to show what true worship looks like because we've rid ourselves of idols and we've taken hold of who God truly is that we recognize that we can be the ones to change and reverse cycles in our lives what would it look like if you and I were the ones that reverse reverse the curses of generational sin and we broke those patterns because God is a God who wants to come and set the captives free and bring freedom and what would it look like if all of us worshiped God alone, not just here on a Sunday morning when everybody's watching, so that we wouldn't just look for a good reputation, which is what other people think of you, but that we would seek after good character, which is who you are when no one's watching. And so what would it look like if we sought godly character? And what would it look like if we sought worshiping God all the time? 
not just here, and doing so in such a way that shows that he alone is worthy of our worship. He alone is the one who is worthy of godly, biblical, life-changing worship. And if you want to know what that kind of worship looks like, then you're going to have to join us next week as we continue our series. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning, and we thank you for the fact that each person that is here, God, is someone that you love, someone that you've created, someone that is special in your sight, and is someone with whom you want to have a deeper relationship with. So Lord, as we begin this series called It Starts Here, Lord, I pray that we would recognize that our view of worship and of who you are has to be the starting point, has to be where our journey to get a deeper relationship with you begins, because if we get the who wrong, none of the rest matters. So Lord, I pray for those times that we know exactly what our idols are, Lord, and we confess those idols to you. Maybe some of us need to go and talk to someone, Lord. Give us the courage to do that, to confess and to pray. And Lord, we pray that you would remove that which has wrongfully taken root into our life and borne this evil fruit, but God, instead, that you would replace the true fulfillment and the true relationship and true fruit that honors you that only comes from a relationship with you. So, Lord, we pray that we would decrease and that you would increase in our lives, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the entire week as we worship you. Because everyone worships something. But, Lord, may we remember that you are the who that we need to worship, because who we worship is everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Excuse me. As the communion's being passed, there's one part of the story I didn't get to, and I'm not going to take a long time to do this. But in Exodus 32, after... There's the golden calf incident. God looks down and he tells Moses, the people have already broken the laws that I've said, broken the Ten Commandments. They've already started to worship them. So I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to start a new nation with you and we'll be able to move forward because you are, are moving, you're walking with me closely. And Moses comes to him and he pleads and he intercedes on his behalf, on the people's behalf, saying, God, if you go and you save the people just to put them in the wilderness and slaughter them, then there'll be a mockery to the nations around them. And so he intercedes and says, yes, the people, they committed a great sin. And because of that great sin, there's a division between them and God. And because God is fully just and fully holy, there needs to be a substitute and someone to intercede on their behalf. And then for us, we get to celebrate that, yes, you and I, we have sinned. And that because of that sin, there's a separation between us and God. And that because he is fully holy, he needs a substitute in order to bridge that gap. But because he's not only fully holy, but because God is fully loving, that he sent Jesus Christ to be that substitute. That he sent Jesus Christ to be our intercessor. That he sent Jesus Christ to allow us to come into a right relationship with God because Jesus knew no sin, but became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God as we sang earlier. And so this morning, if you're brand new here and and you're still on your journey, again, we're so thankful you're here. We don't want you to feel pressured to take the communion this morning. But if you call Jesus your Lord, and if you call Palmerado Christian Church your home, then we invite you to take the bread that reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken as the intercessor on our behalf. And we invite you to take the cup that reminds us of his blood that was poured out, that wipes our sin away as far as the east is from the west, makes us new as white as crimson as snow, and that allows us to have right relationship with him. 
And so may you take some moments in your own time as you feel led to thank God that, yes, everyone worships something, but who we worship is everything. And we have a God who's fully just and fully loving. And where those two things meet and intersect is the intersection of the cross. And so you take the communion in remembrance of him as you feel led. So, you know, we, uh, we joked about coming next week at the very end, but we really are continuing on this series in regards to saying this week was who we worship. Next week is what is worship and what worship isn't. And so we invite you all back uh, to join us as we continue this It Starts Here series. But even with that said, we recognize that as we talk about um, things that we talked about today, that there might be some people who need prayer. Um, and so if that's you, uh, please don't hesitate to come forward and, and ask for prayer uh, from any one of us. We'd love to be able to pray with you as we, uh, again, come not as people who've navigated the journey, but as fellow sojourners on that path as well. And so about a month or so ago, I, I ended service just with this blessing. I just want to pray this over you um, and send you off with this, with this thought as we go and we continue to live lives of worshiping the one true God and not idols. And so... I want to leave you with this. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. So God bless you this week. We look forward to seeing you all in our doors once again next Sunday morning. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you and have a wonderful, wonderful week.